What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I am James Yarko, joined by no one. I'm all by my lonesome today, so you're stuck with just my soothing, soothing voice to recap the Buccaneers loss to the New York Giants. Of course, you can check out everything that we that I am doing, as well as my usual co-host David Harrison over at BucksNation.com. And make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, and at DH82 underscore Bucks. My apologies to everyone for not getting the recap episode out on Monday. I was having some software issues. It was not allowing me to record or select a microphone or anything of the sort. So we're a little delayed. And because I'm not as technically savvy as David, I do not have the ability to edit in the voicemails. So we're going to do another voicemail heavy episode later this week when David returns from work. But until then, let's talk a little bit about the Buccaneers. Another loss, another frustrating performance by the offense in the in the first half. Fitzpatrick was a turnover machine. Jameis Winston came in and played really, really well. I mean, aside from that last possession, which I'll get to in a minute, he was on the field for four possessions that resulted in four touchdowns. Yes, he had the fumble. Uh, I'm not putting that fumble, you know, on him. I've I've been as honest as I can about Jameis Winston and his turnover issues. When it's his fault, I'll blame him. But when it's not, I'm I'm not gonna put it on him. Yeah, he probably could have and should have tucked that ball better. But that was a great defensive play, and it still resulted in a fumble recovery for a touchdown by Mike Evans. So that's kind of one of those no harm, no foul things. But Jameis overall, he looked really good. He was he was 12 for 16, a um, couple of touchdowns. You know, overall a a solid performance from him once he entered the game, and. David and I said it after after the Buccaneers lost a few weeks ago that Jameis should be the quarterback moving forward. You have to know what you have in this guy. And if they move on to a new head coach, you have to have as much film, as much recent film as possible to show that person, whether it's Bruce Arians or John Harbaugh or, or Filippo or whoever they may be targeting. You want to give them the most recent and as much film as you possibly can and let them make the decision. If that's the guy that they want moving forward, you know, that's fine. If not, you can save that money, put it elsewhere, pursue a quarterback in the draft or free agency or a trade or whatever the case may be. But Jameis should be on the field. You're not saving this season. You know, Fitzpatrick early on played better than Jameis did. That's that's a fact. You know, there's there, I understand People were frustrated with the benching of, of Winston, but you you can't deny the fact that when Winston was starting, he was struggling. He was off. He was throwing bad passes. He was making bad decisions. He had bad turnovers. And when Fitzpatrick started early in the season, the offense was clicking. They were dominant. You know, they were impressive to watch. So, you know, it was the right decision at the time, but it got to the point where there was no saving this season. There's going to be no playoffs again. There's not going to be a 500 or better record again. It, it, it is what it is. So at that point, start the guy that you drafted to be your guy. Whether that was Cutter's decision, Light's decision, the Glazers' decision, whoever, Jameis needed to be in there. So Dirk Cutter came out and, and said, well, at first he said that he had made a decision, but he wasn't going to tell the media because he hadn't talked to Fitz or Jameis. 
after he talked to them, it was announced that Jameis is going to be the starting quarterback against San Francisco. Not surprised. And he should be the quarterback moving forward. Now, I I mentioned that last play, and I got into a debate with some people on Twitter regarding that last play. Um, Here's the thing. You were in, I say you, meaning the Buccaneers. The Bucs were in a situation where the percentage of them being able to get down the field from their own 20-yard line with, with 23 seconds left and no timeouts, the odds of them being able to get into field goal range were slim to none. So I loved the call to just chuck it deep on that first play and try to get into field goal range as fast as possible. And it was it was a good call. It was a Hail Mary to the sideline where if you complete that pass, there's a good chance you can get out of bounds. Now, yeah, there was still time to get up there and, and spike the ball if the player didn't get out of bounds. But then you were looking at a at a pretty ridiculously long field goal or you're in a position where if you have one play left and you don't feel that Santos can can get it through the uprights from that distance, you're within striking distance of being able to score that touchdown. You know, Jameis isn't going to chuck the ball from the from his own 20 into the end zone. It's not going to happen. So it was a low percentage chance to begin with. You take a low percentage play because you basically have to convert that to increase any odds that you have of even being able to tie it. So I liked the play call. What I didn't like was the fact that Deshaun Jackson displayed exactly how much he does not care. And I've defended Deshaun Jackson to a point. You know, I defended him when he was on the NFL Network and said that Fitz should stay the starter because of the way they were playing. I understood that. At the time, Deshaun Jackson was leading the NFL in receiving. He was the deep ball threat that they signed him to be. The offense was clicking. They were winning. I understood. But then you have the speculation that he wanted to be traded and he doesn't want to play with Jameis. Okay, I get it. Sometimes quarterbacks and receivers, they don't get along. It happens. But watching Deshaun Jackson on that play, when he was in a position where he could have caught that ball if he had just exerted the most minimal effort possible and the fact that he just turned his head and watched the ball get intercepted, didn't raise his arms up, didn't jump, nothing, didn't try at all to get that ball, that was inexcusable and it was disgusting. Then he wants to turn around after the game and say, we need more players that have heart. Where's yours? Where's yours, Deshaun? And it's not the first time that we've seen Jameis throw a deep ball. And, you know, David and I have said on this podcast, you know, I want to go back and watch on that all 22 because it looks like Deshaun could have gotten that ball. How many times does Jameis have to throw it deep and we see Deshaun slow down? Or make zero effort to get to the ball. There was a deep pass. I can't remember which game it was in. I want to say it was against Atlanta. There was a deep pass from from Jameis. It was off the mark a little bit. But Deshaun, if if he dove, could catch that ball. No effort. 
None. Doesn't make any sense. You can't sit there in the locker room and point fingers talking about, you know, guys don't have any heart and then show that kind of effort. It's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. Gil Arcia at, at BucksNation.com wrote up something about Deshaun Jackson that I found to be kind of interesting, and I urge everyone to go check it out. But real quick, I mean, Buccaneers quarterbacks, whether it's Fitz or Winston, this season have an 86.9 quarterback rating when they target Deshaun Jackson. Of qualifying wide receivers, there's 95 of them. That ranks 72nd in quarterback rating when targeting a specific receiver. Is all of that on Deshaun? No. But given the effort that he has shown, yeah, a lot of it is. Deshaun wants the big plays. He wants the notoriety. He wants the big money. But he's not going to exert the effort for it. You know, unless the ball is going to drop right into his hands, he's not trying for it. He's not going to jump for a ball. He's not going to dive for a ball. He has a green light to return punts whenever he wants. We've seen it, what, twice? He went out there to return a punt against the Steelers, and it was called back for holding, even though he scored a touchdown. And then he went out there to return a punt against the Giants, and it, it went into the end zone. But if a guy's talking about you know, needing heart, you know, these guys need to have more heart and you have the green light to return punts whenever you want with the dynamic playmaking ability that you have, where's yours? Doesn't make any sense. Before I move on, uh, like to, uh, like to mention somebody who has now, uh, joined the podcast, uh, and that is our friends, over at Action Heat. Action Heat clothing is engineered to safely and efficiently deliver heat via heating panels similar to a heated car seat. They can reach temperatures of up to 135 degrees and are powered by rechargeable 5-volt lithium-ion batteries that last up to 12 hours on each charge. Action Heat batteries can also be used to recharge your phone or any other gadget while you're wearing them. They're a perfect gift for any friend or family member on your list, and we're at that season. Thanksgiving's coming up, Black Friday, all that stuff. Put this on your list, especially for those of us like myself or David, where we're already dealing with like 20-degree weather and snow. It's terrible. Action Heat Clothing provides toasty warmth and comfort for your whole body, including heated jackets, socks, gloves, hats, and even undergarments like heated base layer shirts and long johns. You can stay warm and cozy from head to toe with Action Heat. We've got a special deal for our listeners to save 20% off your entire order. All you have to do is go to actionheat.com slash locked on to check out everything Action Heat has to offer. That's actionheat.com slash locked on, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, or use the coupon code locked on at checkout to save 20%. Stay toasty warm while you enjoy all your outdoor activities this winter with Action Heat, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. 
the the turnover issue reared its ugly head again on Sunday when Fitzpatrick turned the ball over three times again. And once again, when you combine Fitz and Winston, this team, the quarterback position, has thrown 23 interceptions. Think about that. 23 interceptions between the two quarterbacks. Obviously, most in the NFL. And it sh- it shows no signs of stopping. The Bucks' turnover differential this year is negative 23. Because whoever the quarterback is keeps giving the ball away. And the defense is doing nothing to take the ball away. There was a moment in the game against the Giants. And it was in the fourth quarter towards the end. And it was after the onside kick. So they attempt the onside kick. Doesn't work. Giants have great field position. Trying to ice the game. Get down their score touchdown. Which they eventually did. But you're you're watching them try to you're watching the Bucks defense try to stop the Giants. And of course it's all Saquon. Hand off to Saquon. Run up the middle with Saquon. Hand it off to Saquon. Over and over and over. And at one point, there were four Buccaneers players that had wrapped up Saquon for it was a one or a two yard game. Okay, great, wonderful. Stop him, try to get the ball back. Got it. Not one of those players was going after the ball. Not one. And I think about Levante David missing the game. I think about Quan Alexander missing the game. And we all know that if Levante David was in that game, he's swatting at the ball. He's trying to force a turnover. Now, Saquon could have had a death grip on that ball and he wouldn't have lost it anyway. We don't know. But the fact that in a clutch situation where you have to get the ball back, you still have a chance to tie or win the game, but you have got to get the ball back for your offense and nobody is trying to take it away from Saquon Barkley speaks volumes. This team does not know, does not understand, does not comprehend taking the football away. They don't get it. They flat out don't get it. You cannot go seven consecutive games without a defensive takeaway and expect to be competitive in the National Football League. Seven games. That's coaching. That is coaching. There have been opportunities. There have been times where if a corner or a safety just turned their head around to look, they could have intercepted the ball. There have been balls that have bounced out of defenders' hands that should have been intercepted. Can't hold on to it. There have been times, like on Sunday, when you know what's coming, you're ready for it, and nobody is trying to strip the ball away from the ball carrier. 
Why? Why? That's football 101. You are in a desperate situation trying to get the ball back to win a game, something that you have not done very often, and nobody's trying to take the ball away? Why aren't the coaches telling these players, go after the football, make a play, make something happen? Instead, you have four and five guys wrap up Saquon Barkley. Again, short game, great, all right, fine, whatever. Clock's still running, it's your enemy now. You have to get the ball back. Why isn't anyone going for it? That's a coaching problem. I said in the offseason when David and I were, were doing the show, people were starting to get excited, but it was that cautious optimism. You know, we've been burned by this before, you know, getting too excited before the season and and then being let down. If this team doesn't make the postseason, which they're not now, it's not a talent problem. It's a coaching problem. And the lack of turnovers by this defense shows exactly that. That play in particular shows exactly that. Not a single player even attempted to swat the ball out of Saquon's hands. To rip it from him. None of them. It's inexcusable. There's a reason that our offseason is going to be filled with coaching search, coordinator search, position coach search. That's where this season is headed. You can't start off 2-0 and with the number one offense in football and heading into Thanksgiving weekend be 3-7 and and keep your job. That's the NFL. What have you done for me lately? Well, Dirk, lately, you've coached this team to two consecutive losing seasons. I mean, yeah, theoretically, they could rattle off six in a row and finish nine and seven, but does anybody listening really have the faith that that's going to happen? I'm not even sure if I have faith that they can beat the 49ers. Because they haven't displayed anything to instill that faith in me this year. Outside of weeks one and two. It's a coaching problem. Again, not putting players in a position to succeed. Not coaching players in a way that will lead to wins and lead to success. And in the NFC South... That's what you get. You get another last place finish when you don't do that. It's not an easy division. It's the toughest one in football. Consistently, year after year, it is the toughest division in football. It's going to stay that way for the foreseeable future. I may despise Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers, but they're a good football team and they know how to win games. 
Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. That Falcons defense, when it's healthy, they've been decimated by injuries. I don't put their struggles this year on anything outside of the fact that they've lost half of a very good defense to the IR. They know how to win games. Drew Brees, the Saints, they might very well win the Super Bowl. They get past the Los Angeles Rams in the postseason, a team that they've already beat. No one, no one in the AFC is stopping the Saints. No one. I don't care what Bill Belichick and Tom Brady cook up if they get there. You know, as good as they are, nobody's stopping the Saints in the AFC. No one. Toughest division of football. And you can't coach your players to take the ball away, to turn your head, to strip the ball from a running back with less than two minutes to play. When they have to run the clock out? No. It's not a talent problem. It's a coaching problem. Well, that's pretty much going to do it for me. Uh, I'm excited to do the Crossover Wednesday episode coming up tomorrow. And then I think David and I are going to take Thanksgiving off. There There may not be an episode on Thanksgiving Day, but I'm going to talk to him about it. Uh, maybe we'll go ahead and get one knocked out uh, just because I, I know David's itching to be back and he's going to have some things that he wants to say. And the voicemails are piling up, which we really, really appreciate. Please continue to send those in, get entered in to win that autographed Quan Alexander jersey. Just call 813-444-5841. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll have plenty to say starting to preview the 49ers game here coming up. It's been a frustrating season. It really has. But the talent is there. It's just hashtag it's a Bucks life. Make sure you're checking out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JRCO underscore Bucks, and at DH82 underscore Bucks. Hope all of you, from the bottom of my heart, have a wonderful safe and enjoyable Thanksgiving holiday with your friends and family. Remember the reason for the season. Be thankful for all that we have. Be thankful for those that are in our lives. And I thank you all so much for joining us right here at Locked on Bucks.